the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Abounding Grace, we continue with our examination of Revelation chapter 6. It's a look at the opening of the seven seals. Next on Abounding Grace, join us. Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Today, we turn our thoughts toward Revelation chapter 6 once again. It's the opening of the seven seals. God begins judging sin once for all, finally, outside of the cross. It's been dealt with firmly in the cross, but for those who have not embraced Christ, we begin to see what really happens. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Now Revelation 5 is about a book or a scroll, and this is so important. It is a scroll that is in the hand of the one who sits on the throne. We talked about this last week. The scroll has seven seals on it, and beginning in chapter 6, the seals are opened one at a time, and several things come forth. Now, what is this scroll that the only person in the universe who was worthy to open it was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Root of David, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah? Where did John get this figure of a book? Once again, turn to Ezekiel, this time chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Now verses 9 and 10. Then I looked, and behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and the back, and written on it were... Lamentations, mourning, and woe, just like the scroll in Revelation 5. And every space was filled. It was written on the front and the back, just as it is described here. This is the same scroll, and it is a scroll filled with lamentations, mourning, and woe. That is what is in this scroll, beloved. It is God's covenant curses upon his enemies, most particularly to whom Ezekiel 2 was written, and that is the sons of Israel. So this scroll is a scroll of God's covenant curses written to Israel, apostate Judaism. And now look at chapter 5, verses 5 through 9, and I will read those to you. Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. 
Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and a nation. Now he is making a prophecy about the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Israel has already fallen the Northern kingdom to Assyria. The Southern kingdom has fallen to Babylon. And the next great event, even though there was conflict with the Greeks in between the Testament, nevertheless, it is the fulfillment of this prophecy in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And he talks about a book written on both sides, full of condemnations against Jerusalem because Jerusalem rejected Christ and apostatized. That is the scroll that we find here in Revelation 5. Now, in chapters 6 through 11, we see the opening of these seals. But before we look at the opening of these seals, we need to understand this book in chapter 5 that Christ opens and administers the contents of in the administration of God's covenant upon the apostate covenant community of Israel, which then led to the destruction of Israel in 70 A.D., now, remember the time frame of the book of Revelation, verse 1 of chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to his bondservants, the things which must soon take place. So he is writing to these first century hearers, described in chapters 2 and 3, and he says, I am telling you about things that will shortly take place, in other words, in their lifetime. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. So now an honest reading of that text, without superimposing something on it that you want it to say, says that what is written in the book of Revelation has as its primary focus people of the first century and what is going to happen to their enemies. And the scroll tells us that God is going to pour out his wrath, first of all, on apostate Judaism. Now, what happens in chapters 6 through 11? Well, Jesus opens the seals one at a time. The book of Revelation tells you what comes out of the book as the seals are broken open one by one. And in the seventh seal, what comes out are seven trumpets. So then you hear then what happens as a result of seven trumpets. But all of this comes out of the book from Revelation 6 through 11. Also look at verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. 
And there was given me a measuring rod like a staff. And someone said, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. So here the John, John the Apostle was told to measure the temple in Jerusalem. Now the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. So that means the temple was still standing here when John was told to measure it. Which means the book of Revelation was written before the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Also look at Revelation 13, 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who, is, who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. And when you add up the numerical value of Nero Caesar, it is 666. So this is about things that took place when Nero was Caesar. And Nero died before 70 AD. Then notice in chapter 7, verse 14. And I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. These are people who survived the great tribulation. When did Jesus say the great tribulation would take place? When the abomination of desolation of the Roman armies were in Jerusalem in 70 AD. But now, as far as I'm concerned, here's the clincher of all of this. Turn to Revelation 11 again, verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, which were also their Lord was crucified. Where was Jesus crucified? In the environs of Jerusalem. So you see, you have all this evidence that chapters 4 through 11 with the opening of this book is God pouring out his wrath upon the apostate Jews, the apostate covenant people in the first century. Now let's look quickly at the first four seals because really that's about all the time we have for today. I want you to understand the point that is being made here. The point that is being made in the opening of these seals is now, listen, that Jesus Christ uses all the forces of creation and all of the evil schemes of sinful men to carry out his purposes of judgment and deliverance and victory. That is the point. The reigning Christ uses all the energies of creation and all the evil schemes of wicked men to accomplish his purposes, which are the destruction of the enemies of the people of God and the victory of his people. Notice, it is the Lamb who opens the seals. We saw last week that the reason Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords and why God has given him all authority in heaven on earth is because he was faithful to accomplish the salvation of his people that he was sent to do. So it is Christ with nail-scarred hands that administers this book for the benefit of his people for whom his hands were scarred. The first seal is opened. 
And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So what is the point of the opening of this seal? He opens the seal and a white horse comes out. The rider on the white horse has a crown, a a, a bow, and uh, is a mighty conqueror. And the rider, obviously, as we're going to see, is Jesus Christ, the mighty victor, riding forth triumphantly through human history, judging his enemies and delivering his people. And most particularly and immediately riding on this white horse to Jerusalem to bring devastation upon Jerusalem. Now, how do we know this rider on the white horse is Christ? Well, it should be obvious to all of us, but it isn't obvious to a whole host of Bible interpreters who say, believe it or not, that the rider on the horse was actually the Antichrist. After all, they've got to have an Antichrist in here somewhere. But the word Antichrist never occurs in the book of Revelation. But they're saying that the person on the white horse is an Antichrist. Well, I'm going to show you that that interpretation is absolutely absurd. And we are not left to guess who the rider on that white horse is. The book of Revelation itself identifies him. And if you go to Revelation 19 and read verses 11 through 13, you see who the rider on the white horse is. It says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a white robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Lord of God. It is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became Flesh. So this rider on the white horse is the Son of God. In fact, notice his eyes are like a flame of fire. John is describing him again as he described him in the first chapter of Revelation in verse 14. So the book of Revelation identifies this writer. Secondly, this verse about a rider conquering is, is also a reference back to Psalm 45, which is a messianic psalm. And it's about the coming of the Messiah. Notice what it says. And you'll see where John gets his imagery. Psalm 45, verses 3 through 5. Gurge your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and your majesty. And in your majesty, ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Obviously, 
It is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ going forward to conquer, which imagery John brings out here in Revelation 6. Also notice the symbol of whiteness. Whiteness has an important symbolic significance in the book of Revelation. Because the only people who wear white or are connected with white are Christians in Christ. Christians are spoken of wearing white robes in Revelation 1. And also chapter 1, it describes the reigning Christ as having white hair. So white is a symbol of triumph, of victory and purity. And it is only identified with Christ and with Christians in the book of Revelation. Now, let me tell you what the Greek literally says in the last part of verse 2 when John says, And he went out conquering and to conquer. That is an idiomatic phrase that means he goes forth in victory and nothing but victory. That he goes forth conquering and to conquer means he goes forth in victory and nothing but victory. All he ever does is conquer All he ever does is win the victory. He never loses. Now, unless we are Satanist, we cannot attribute this to Satan or an Antichrist because it cannot be said of the Antichrist that he goes forth in total victory, never losing. That Satan goes forth in total victory, never losing, can ever be said. Both Satan and Antichrist are losers it can only be said of jesus christ that he goes forth conquering and to conquer in victory and nothing but victory and the word conquer in the book of revelation always except two times refers to christ or to christians and only if this writer the on the white horse is interpreted as christ will the significance of the other writers become clear. The other three writers are in the service of the one on that white horse. The other three riders on the different colored horses are under the command and doing the work assigned to them by the rider on the white horse. Throughout chapter 6, the sovereignty, the leadership, and the command of Christ are brought out time and again over these writers to show that he, Christ, was in command. Look at verse 4. And another, a red horse went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that man would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. So this isn't something he produced in and of himself. He was granted this power. Verse 6, And I heard something, like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, etc. So there is a commanding voice in the center of these horses. Verse 8, And I looked, and an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following him. Authority was given to them. Verse 11, And there was given to each one of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So 
Here's another instance of Christ giving sovereignly something to someone and then determining the number of those who would be martyred. He says, you all rest a little longer until those who are going to be martyred are martyred. So the sovereign determined that number. In verses 12 through 17, we see a picture of how the inescapable lamb governs absolutely. So the second and third and fourth writers are the instruments by which Christ accomplishes the deliverance and victory of his people over their enemies. Let's look at a couple of more passages. Luke 19, verse 41. Luke 19, verse 41. And when he, that is Jesus, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Then one more time, Luke 21, 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. Now you're going to see in the opening of these seals how the rider on the first horse uses one thing after another to bring down to desolation the covenant people of God, Israel, who had apostatized. Let's now look at Revelation 6, verses 3 and 4. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come! And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it was granted to take peace from the earth. And that men men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. This is the red horse of war, the Roman armies that destroyed Jerusalem in 17 AD. This shows how the rider on the first horse, the Lord Jesus Christ, uses war to judge his enemies and to deliver his people. Listen to what Dr. Rushduni says. Christ brings not peace, but a sword to the anti-Christian forces. He is the principle of perpetual warfare to a world that seeks an unregenerated, an unregenerate, and unprincipled peace. Men cannot find peace in Christ until they accept the necessity of war within the fallen world. And Christ is the principle of this warfare. Now, men use war for their purposes, while Christ uses it for another. Men use war to advance political power. Most of the wars in our lifetime are fought to advance political power. Just study the lives of Franklin Delaware Roosevelt or Joseph Stalin. Study their motivations in World War II. Study what Europe looked like after World War II and what it looked like before Hitler. And you'll see that men have as their goal in war the extension of power. But it is not men who accomplishes his purposes. 
It is the Lord Jesus Christ on the white horse who uses war to humble man and to ruin man. Then we come to the third seal in verses 5 and 6. And when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come! I looked and beheld a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Now, what could this third seal possibly be? Well, it's the seal of economic hardship as a judgment of God upon the lawless. Theologian Ernest Hingstenberg said, Bad crops and scarcity are one of the scourges in the hand of God with which he chastens unbelief and enmity toward Christ and his church through the whole course of centuries and punishes and breaks the arrogance of an apostate and rebellious world so as to prepare the way for Christ's dominion, end quote. So God uses the breakdown of economies to punish his enemies. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Amen.